When the rain gets under your skin Leaking tadpoles like it's a whim And what do you say When it's all gone sideways and fools And your heart won't beat with the rules Little back and like a shoot on the path You're pushing past these boulders Pushing past these boulders Welcome to the Bridge to Branches podcast. You and your entirety are welcome here. No matter who you are, where you're from, or what you've been through. On the Bridge to Branches podcast, we believe every mental health experience is valid and has power. If you are tending to your mental health, you are smart and brave. If life is a tree, mental health is the bridge from the roots to the branches, connecting where we've been and what we've been through to its impact on the world, spanning outwards. Mental health is the bridge to your destiny in this world. Join us in talking about it. Hi, my name is Alex. And my name is Arielle, and we are the hosts of the Bridge to Branches podcast. We've both been on nuanced mental health journeys, which are always continuing. Our stories are a part of this project, and I found a safe home here. We hope that you and your story find a home here, too. If you are interested in being on the podcast, please reach out to us at bridge to branches podcast at gmail.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Dominica, our featured guest, is a 33-year-old visionary of our time who believes that trauma is a necessary brain alteration, having learned more than ever of this truth within the last three years. She believes that even though we try to shield ourselves and our loved ones from trauma, our brain is the ultimate pentium. In other words, it is able to process our trauma at top-notch speed, and it does indeed help us in some way, regardless of our own will, and our own abilities in healing. Dominica believes the coping mechanisms that help us heal are unique for each individual. Dominica is an intuitive. She is a brilliant crochet artist and designer and has two business lines for which she develops and sells fragrances, high fashion clothing items, and other homemade goods. We hope you'll check out Dominica's wares and that you enjoy the following episode. So, Dominica, I'd love to ask you our first question of the day, um, and that's the question of identity. So when I ask this um, this question of who are you, it's kind of giving the listeners an opportunity to really see your story through your lens, and it's also giving you an opportunity to kind of just talk about how you identify in the world. So the question is, who are you? Wow, that is like a super profound question. Um, but I am, I'm a woman. I'm a black woman. I'm a black woman that's a mother. Um, I'm a black mother that is a visionary. Um and I identify with everything visionary, works, deeds, things that you want to accomplish. Like, everything has to be kind of visionary for me. Um, but 
I identify with she, her term, pronouns. And, yeah, I, I just identify as um, demisexual, bisexual. Everything that encompasses an identity, I suppose, and everything that was listed is what I am and who I am first. Um, there are other things that I can say that I identify with that are a part of me, but those are the most um, concrete. Wow, beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. I love how you kind of, like, built, like, one on top of the next on top of the next that created a really cool, like, image, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think. Um, Definitely. It's a really powerful answer. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm curious. Well, Ariel, do you want to ask this question? <laughs> um, sure, sure. Um, and I definitely want to agree with Alex. That was a very profound answer. Dominica, thank you for being so thorough. And I also wanted to add before proceeding into the next aspect of this conversation, this next question has to do with the first question. So okay. each of the questions will really link together. So you'll see that it will be very nice and fluid and smooth in that way. And we'll be along your side the whole way as well. Okay. So we'll really be going through it together. And so I wanted to add in terms of the identity and moving forward into this next part, your metaphysical being, if there's any way that you identify or associate with that as part of yourself, is also welcome here on this journey. Absolutely. I appreciate that. For sure. No problem. So the next question asks, we're looking at how your understanding of your identity, you know, your, your life experiences, everything that encompasses who you are, how that has influenced your experience of your mental health. So we're really asking you to look through your own lens, your personal lens of your own identity, which is completely unique to you because of all of your life experiences and everything that makes you up as a unique person. And then when you look through that lens, how you see your own mental health. Yes, I understand. Thank you for um, for uh, helping me process a question um, because... Whenever I hear things like this, like, I really just just go to the deep end and really think deeply about what's being asked of me and, and what, I'm, what I'm saying. Um, so with everything that I identify with, um, it is definitely, um, it's been with me, you know. Um, it's developed with me just like, um your you know your skin grow you know grows as you grow your 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 limbs grow as you grow the same thing applies to my identity like it's just um, molecular almost mm-hmm. um but i um metaphysically i can honestly say that i'm um fifth dimensional um which means I kind of process things more um, more deeply, I feel. Um, and mm-hmm. I think as I'm getting older, because age is something that we all got to, like, kind of carry 
with our identity that it's becoming more prevalent, you know, in my day to day. My existence has been that of a, I guess, a descendant of a diaspora, you know, a black person. It's a black girl's experience, I guess, in the world and with a black girl's lens. Um, However, um, I've been very fortunate um, and I feel like it has a great deal to do with my, you know, what I put in my life condition that I've been able to travel and um, learn uh, about the world and learn about my place and, um, my, you know, form my own identity through travel. Um, I've lived um, location-wise in various places and have had the great opportunity to meet amazing individuals that have anchors in my in my life and with my identity. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been really fortunate for that. Um, and so, all in all, that's what encompasses me and how I develop my identity through the years, through travel, through talk, through communication, through a genuine, like, love for people, like, not just what they can give me, but what, who they are. And, you know, the, I don't want to make up terms, but how precious their life is. Um, Like, I think about that stuff. I think, you know, you see a random person, and you're like, oh, it's just a person. But for me, like, I think about, like, that person probably got a family. That person probably has trauma. That pro- that person, you know, probably has a lot of aspirations and things. Or, you know, I just think really purposeful about things. And that is a part of my identity that kind of developed through the years. Totally. It sounds like you consider yourself like a person of the world, and that's made you a really empathetic person. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Thank you for sharing the rest of what you said, Dominica, about your identity and your worldly life experiences. So then how have you seen yourself with all of yourself? And it sounds like you have such an extraordinary understanding of who you are and as you've developed over the years. How have you come into contact with your own mental health or your your mind over the years, and how have you come to know yourself in that way? Oh, it's been a great challenge because mm-hmm. you know, with my identity and who I am, I you know I feel like for it to be balanced, there has to be a bit of a challenge internally, and so like I deal a lot with like disembodied voice telling me a lot of negative things about myself, about my experiences, and about my identity. Mm-hmm. And so I have to kind of combat that within myself. And nobody's supposed to see this this battle, this almost physical battle, but it's mental. Mm-hmm. So, like, a lot of times, you know, I appear to be kind of, you know, reserved and quiet and... um I would say at a pause or just super observant, 
But, like, internally and mentally, it's, like, so busy. Like, it's just entire state, New, New York City busy. Like, the busiest cities in the world that I've been, that's what's going on in my mind. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, thank you for that. Okay. Yeah. Did you have any more to say to that? Oh, no. Okay, I mean, I just wanted to say I appreciate that visual yeah. as well, like just how Alex is going to say too, and um, I'll just turn it over to you, Alex, but I just wanted to say I know that I just really resonate with that, what you're saying with that experience, and I really understand that experience of having that busyness inside and then the difference of what comes to the surface, and I and I know... I know you well. I know that we're old friends now at this point and that we have spoken recently about our kindred spirit. So, and I know Alex well too, so I feel like she probably, I'll, I'll let you speak for yourself, Alex, but I feel like we both probably can resonate with that experience and how you just described. Totally. Yeah, I was just going to say that I just appreciate how transparent you are around around this and like what goes on in your mind because I really do relate and I think that probably a lot of people listening could relate like mm-hmm. and I wonder how much is like societal too it's like societal bullshit that like it's ingrained within us right so like yeah. we have to take on and based on our identity like society finds a way to like worm its way into like every person no matter what their identity is and like like attack like they're like you know, like, their most, like, insecure parts and mm-hmm. really, like, just destroy them if it, if it is able. And so I think that we have to develop a lot of strength to, like, fight back, and that's, that puts a lot of pressure on our minds. And our Yeah, health. I was just thinking about that term, pressure, like, in everybody's mm-hmm. life condition, no matter what creed, like, there's always, like, a undermining social pressure for everybody. Totally. And it, and it goes against, I mean, sometimes it goes against your identity and who you are and who you feel. Um, but I feel also that it's necessary for us to keep being who we are and for us to, you know, permeate our identity regardless of, like, the bullshit in the society that is being, like, force-fed to us. Totally. Totally. So, um, Dominica, I'm going to kind of um, transition into the next question, which, of course, like, has to do with everything everything we've been talking about. But um, so a lot of folks, um, like, therapy marks the beginning of their mental health journey. Some get a diagnosis. Some start medication. Others have like a psychotic event or an experience of psychosis. And then for them, that's what starts their mental health journey. Other people say it's like their entire lives is just their one mental health journey. I'm curious, or we're both curious, what for you would you say is when your mental health journey sort of began? And walk us through that story. Well, I can honestly say that within myself, I knew from a very young age that I didn't want to classify what I was going through as wrong or something's wrong with me. But it has definitely been from a young age that I recognize something. Mm -hmm. Because of my youth and because of 
you know, my knowledge, I wasn't really fully aware of, like, terms and classifications that came in the process of living and learning and experiencing and reading and going to school and doing various things that time and age allows you to. But what, cat, I guess, catapulted me to, like, really put my mental health under a microscope and examine things was a series of events um, that happened in the last, I would say, five or six years. Um, and I would say that it had a great deal to do with um, the world I was living in, which is anger. Now, anger is such a meaty topic because it has so many roots. It can stem from child, like early, early, early childhood um, things that developmentally I didn't receive, um, or you know, and it just follows you. So, and then there's other things that happen. Life, you know, gives you a lot of curves and twists and um, hands that test your resiliency and your buoyancy in life. And so I really recognize that it's something that I kind of had to deal with within the last five or six years um, because of my anger. My anger has really put me in positions that are were pretty scary. I have dealt with um, being silent and being angry about that, about um, traumatic trauma, sexual trauma, um, mm-hmm. the trauma of how I see myself in the mirror physically, um, traumas of family life, mm-hmm. the, um, I guess, the society, you know, social-wise, you know, what I was birthed in as a black woman, a lot of things that I could really consider trauma had me feel that my mental health is something that I really need to look at um, when dealing with these things. Um, I have been so angry for a lot of years and not been able to speak on it or hear that I would be judged or shamed. Um, as a young child, um, I I was pretty sick. You know, I stayed in the hospital for the first three weeks of my life. I wasn't even around my mom like that because I was in the hospital for pneumonia. So I didn't have the nurture, um, you know, when babies come, they... You know, they have a, a latching to their mothers, you know. I kind of, I wouldn't say I was neglected totally, but that was, I didn't get enough of that. So I, it was easy for me to learn how to self-soothe with things. So <laughs> this is crazy, but I um, was an avid thumb sucker um, for most of my life. And, you know, the endorphins that you get from suckling, you know, with the mother, because I wasn't 
with my mom like that. I got it from sucking my thumb. So that was like stress relief. That was everything. Yeah, so I connect that too with a lot of um, what I call oral fixation, or I, I know it's a term, but I dealt with that greatly in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, in all aspects of oral, like, you know, right down to the trauma, not being able to speak, you know, mm-hmm. my traumas, and have them, you know, kind of be suppressed in me for years. Um, but all these things, and there's, there are many, I've, in the recent years, within the five or six years, I really um, was motivated to examine fully so I can understand myself and my identity. It's it's so wild, the story of trauma and how it affects different folks. Um, I definitely, you mentioned shame and feeling silenced, and these are all, like, totally like foundational pieces to trauma. So I really appreciate you sharing this. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, Yes, thank you, Dominica. I just wanted to say, too, I really appreciate your discussion when you started off and how you wove in your experience of when you were younger. You know, when you were a baby, of course, I found that so fascinating what you shared about your disconnect from your mother from the beginning. And that might be even something that I think we would be interested to welcome you back on for another conversation about that specifically, because it's a whole other topic that's so fascinating how that would impact the rest of your life. Yeah. But I also wanted to thank you for bringing up your experience of, of feeling like you could not talk about your experience of your mind or what was going on inside of your mind when you were younger, because I think that is very true for a lot of people and especially when we're younger and we we really think that we might be the only person having this experience that so we keep it inside of us. And yeah. that can get, we can feel really trapped. I know that was definitely part of my experience. And I really hope that more young people can be listening to this show too. That's something I wanted to mention. Um, and just how inspiring that will be to hear, you know, someone like you or to, to just know that, People are having that experience when they're younger, even if it's not readily being shared or even if it's yeah. not so normalized. Although I think what we're starting to see with young people now is a shift in that, which makes me feel very hopeful that we can start to be having these types of conversations so- sooner and sooner in life so that we don't yes. have to get trapped or things don't have to build up for as long and yes. then have more issues later. Yeah. Mm, totally. Um, I'll say that I relate to, <clears throat> well, at least like the time frame that you mentioned, like the last five or six years, because I don't know how old you are, Dominica, but I'm 35, and like, I feel like a big part of my mental health journey began when I was like 29 or so, and um, part of that, I, I don't know if it's just like the age that, we're, that we are, that we start to become more like aware, or certain symptoms show up around that age, too. Um, I was told that like, so I've been diagnosed as bipolar, and I was told that, and it's kind of like an interesting diagnosis because I don't actually have, like, manic and depressive episodes. I have, I experienced paranoia, and I needed a diagnosis to get on meds. Um, but, uh, yeah, so they say that, like, certain symptoms develop around, like, that age, and that's, like, for me, when I finally took my mental health, like, into my own hands, and started to like work with it. So I don't know if you relate to like just that age range too. And yes, I definitely agree. 
um, because I'm 33. So yeah. within the five or six years, like, I became a mother, you know, I've um, changed careers, um, all in the existence of my identity and where I am society-wise. Like, you know, um, you know, there's a lot of intersectionality with, you know, how you live, who you are in this world, in America, in 2021. Like, it's a lot. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, within this five or six-year frame, I can say that I really took a, a strong, like, wanting to, as far as my mental health is concerned, because, yeah, like... You know, I have to, your mindset going to be with you until your last breath. Mm-hmm. And so I just really think about that. Definitely. I wonder, and like, I was, I I feel like sometimes I don't bring up certain things because I'm scared of like saying it wrong or like saying the wrong thing. But I, I kind of, I'm just really interested in like the way that as like a black woman, like, you've been treated or responded to um, in, like, the medical community, like, your mental health, like, how you've taken on your mental health as, like, a black woman and, like, how it's been responded to by either other other black folks or, like, doctors or that kind of thing, if if you are able to talk about that at all. Oh, that's that's a really great question, Alex. I'm glad you asked that. And I would be curious, too, with what you were saying about your experience with Angel, Dominica. I think that's a really powerful question. Alex, thank you. Oh, yes. Anger. <clears throat> the world of anger. As a black person living in a black existence, that is a world that follows me in every black person genetically, I feel, Mm. is something that is, um, I would say it's kind of like a regulator of a black existence. Like, we have to check that because the the anger that, you know, generally everybody has it at times in their life, but the type of anger that, like, accompanies black people a black existence um, also carries with it shame, you know, as a, with my mental health, um, to this very day, there's a great amount of pride and shame behind it, behind either combating it or just recognizing that I have it. Um, You know, the family unit, for African American or black people is very important and that stem all the way from Africa, you know, in the sense of community. Mm-hmm. Um and because through the diaspora it's been really diluted and um those ways have kinda like dissipated. We're acting as individuals in this world, um, which I feel is um, a push from society. Um, we are not individuals. We are um, an ecosystem, all of us. Mm-hmm. But 
Um, I feel that it is, it is, I have a lot of shame. Like, um, there was a lot of things that happened to me um, that I deal with, the, um, the mental um, aspect of it that I didn't even reveal to my family until I was in my 30s. There's a lot of things within myself that I had to kind of just let live inside of me until I could kind of like figure out or get a definition of what it was mm-hmm. that I didn't even express to people. Um, in the African American community, typically black people in the black community, um, any recognition of me- mental health um, is a, a reach for, um, you know, people judging you, extreme judgment. Um, it is demonized, I know for sure, in my family. Even the 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 notion of identifying with something other than um, Anglo-Saxon um, society and religious um, concept is almost um, hypocrisy, blasphemy. Um, and my and this is just my family, but it can mirror to a lot of different circumstances in black families. Um, I came from a very strong, real matriarch background, and the women in my family are, were so full of anger. And they, um, I guess, as they aged, um, poured it into devoutism. And um, like like I said before, a lot of shame was used as reprimanding in my upbringing. So it wasn't necessarily physical abuse. It was more like mental. Mm-hmm. And the tools or the ingredients that helped, you know, that happened to me was, you know, white religion, you know, and the the Bible and what the Bible said. Like, I didn't even, I have to this very day, you know, and I love my precious mama. (laughs) I do. She is Mm -hmm. a sweetheart. But I have not really set her down to talk to her about my identity because I feel like she lives vicariously through me and I kind of trauma bond to that because um, I feel feel silent. And I feel that a lot of black people kind of go through this. You know, they have this, a lot of different uh, terms and slogans in the black existence, like, oh, well, at least you got your mama around and, you know, you know, you should thank God that you still got her around and, oh, she just, you know, being her or even more so, oh, girl, you, what you need is Jesus. You don't need to be, you know, mental health. What you depressed for? Mm-hmm. You know, that type of thing. And mm-hmm. it's just kind of like shade thrown um, at the fact that people are recognizing certain things in their in their life, in their mental space. Um, and so black people, myself, have been 
or currently live a full life of a bit of confusion and um, anxiety because what do you turn to? Like, what do you, you know, what, where do you get the knowledge that the, about these things that are happening to you with, which are prevalent and apparent? Like, how do you process them in your existence? Like, you know, it has been hard for me to find a therapist. Um, it has been hard for me to find a therapist that I can, that I feel can really help me penetrate my traumas because there's not a lot of black people that I feel like I can relate to, but then you don't want to go to a therapist for that because everybody has an existence. Everybody can, you know, uh, recognize certain things mentally, no matter if they're black, white, brown, whatever. Um, but there's always, as a black person, um, a feeling that you don't get related to fully if it's not from another black person living a black existence, mm -hmm. therapy-wise. Mm -hmm. right. um, but for me, I've had two. And um, I still feel like there there's a degree of self help that you can pour to into yourself. I I feel truly that people are equipped. They are truly equipped with everything they need to sustain themselves on this planet, help themselves, but. Through a lot of experience, life experiences, we're in this environment. We have a lot of different uh, degrees of things being pushed in our environment that it, like I said, tests your resiliency, your buoyancy, and it changes you. Um, but what's important is, you know, um, not making you callous, but kind of making you callous in, mm -hmm. a, in an existence. Yeah, not making you callous and making you callous. So it's almost like an like a suit of armor that you can like take off in some sometimes, but you have to yeah. take off like know where it is. Yeah, exactly. I, I think it's so valuable and powerful what everything that you are saying, Dominica. And I feel it it's just almost like it's sacred just listening to you today. Um, just being able to have the experience. So I really. I feel grateful and I just wanted to thank you. And um, I know that you and I have spoke about this before and we've even studied it together. And I, you're, you're kind of, you are in a way alluding to this. So I was wondering if you wanted to speak to the idea of intergenerational trauma at all. And I think it's a good time for this. I've noticed this term just being a good one to be in circulation lately. I feel like it's a good time where people are starting to look within in this way and bring up things and then look across their own their own life and across generations too. So I think it's a good time for this type of term. So I was wondering if you wanted to speak to that and that even even with knowing or understanding the idea of intergenerational trauma, where the hope is in that too, like in understanding that as a phenomenon. Yes, this is definitely a happening thing, intergenerational mm -hmm. um, trauma intergenerational curse, like some people, some terms, I've heard that. Um, mm -hmm, I have too. 
um, intergenerational blessing, um, it's a lot. I really think when you, when you dig- like dissect it, it's energy. And, you know, they, I've learned through a lot of, like, studying. I'm, I feel like I'm a professional student because mm-hmm. <laughs> I've literally been, like, I feel like I've been in school since I've been 18 um, in some form of fashion. But um, that term alone, like, has really taught me a lot about, like, energy, like how it never really dies. It just kind of, like, transfers um, with my own identity and my family. Like, I definitely live with that, like, on a daily. Um, Like, my mom, which is, she's, like, my immediate um, family. Um, I, I remember her as a single mother before she met my stepfather. I remember her struggles. I remember her um, her vicariousness. I remember her narcissism. Um, and I, I, I can see that it was because she was also silenced as a child from traumas that she couldn't speak on. And then I think about my grandmother and from what I can remember, because my grandmother died when I was like, like 18 or 19. She lived, but she was very sick. Okay. Um, but I remember her as a, as a youth mm-hmm. and the things that my mom told me about her. And she also was silenced from traumas. I mean, or she had a, her voice was taken, um, and she could not speak on things that have, and that's the story for a great bit of all black existences in America. And it's kind of like an energy that you see, you throw a rock in a pond and this ripple, that, that's energy. Like, it's the immediate family, then the neighborhood, then the community, then the population. Like, all of that is kind of, like, exercising that same intergenerational energy. Um, And it stems from our black existence (laughs) in this country. Um, And it kind of just gets shifted through the generations as another child is born in the, you know, in that um, environment or in this, you know, the society that we live in. For me, it's been that anger, you know, the, um, or the label, the title that the world gives black single mothers, the angry black woman. And but what what people you know don't see is the um, they see the meat they don't see the side <laughs> you know they don't see the reasons why these things are happening because nobody wants to see the reasons right right um and so that's the that's the voices that get silenced 
that's still energy. It doesn't go anywhere. Um, it stays right there until the next one comes. Um, you can either combat it or be consumed by it. How do you combat it? How do you combat it? Is there a way to break these intergenerational curses and traumas? Oh, it, it seems like a Goliath-sized feat sometimes because there's so much. I was um, lately. Um, Africa has really been on my mind. And I um, have a friend there that lives in Ghana, and he had asked me, he says, when you coming back home? <laughs> and mm-hmm. I said, home? I said, I'm as American as apple pie. <laughs> and he was kind of taken aback, like, what do you mean? What about you being a black melanated person in that existence and that identity. And I'm just like, yes, this is very true. But, you know, in me, I guess, an exodus, I would have to consider all factors like being reintroduced into a society that originally, community-wise, would, would have been... Uh, something that I'm used to, but because I never lived that existence, it's almost like I got to prove how African I am. Mm-hmm. And I would never want to go to, you know, a place that is deep within my genetics and feel a sense of unease because I don't feel like I I'm from there, but I am, you know. So it's just something that I feel that just thinking about that would be considered breaking some some intergenerational traumas because I don't believe, and I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know what people's um, mindsets are, what they think about, in the you know, subconsciously, but I can almost tell based on, you know, what I know about my family that that's something that they didn't even think about. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. aspect of, you know, being outside of American. You know, um, we're black here in this country, but we're black American, but we don't never think about that, the the um, the existence of being melanated, a person of color on this planet, a, mel- a person that a melanated people, you know, um, and what that holds and what that means to us. We weren't given that opportunity too much to dive into that. So the fact that I am trying to, like, declare or I wouldn't say declare, but just um, present um, myself in in digesting that is breaking the intergenerational trauma mm-hmm. in a way. Powerful work. Mm-hmm. I think it's so incredible what you're saying. I think that especially as you're getting towards what people have been thinking about beforehand, like in generations before us, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think that your inverse of what people are thinking about now and just what's in circulation, I think your awareness is just brilliantly shining right now regarding this. And I think that where to me where that to me becomes where the key is in terms of hope with breaking this like you're saying, Alex, breaking the trauma chains across across time or across generations, just that knowing that awareness of things that we have now that in generations past we have not before. So that can contribute to a change moving forward, as well as bringing the light of that awareness behind us as well, generations Mm -hmm. that have already existed behind us. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciate you just coming forward with what you said so far about this idea and, and what you're saying about energy too. I think that's, it's a good time for that type of term too. Um, I was recently in conversation with someone who has more of a family system background and looking at the way that families are connected. And he said something similar about just being things, how things are, are connected in some way. So I think we're always in every realm of society, we're trying to find a way to describe the same thing, even if we're using different terms. So I've heard energy. I think it's a good time for, quantum terms where we're looking at the way that things interconnect through that language as well as like nam myoho renge or other mantras or other spiritual practices that that blend our lives together that bring us together but that just as simple as the way that our family is connected there's something that's connecting it more than just us being related there's an energy like you're saying or there might be emotions or psychological experiences that are woven energetically between us or everything that exists between us as humans besides just the fact that we're standing side by side. So I think energy is a great term right now to just bring forward to help us understand something that we already are all experiencing. Yes, I agree. I have one just like final question regarding this part before we move forward, unless Alex, you have anything as well. Um, I kind of wanted to ask a question around the the idea of belonging because you kind of hinted Mm -hmm. around like where where you might belong like like your friend in Ghana and like being surprised that you weren't seemingly maybe owning the African piece or you know that sort of thing and I'm just I'm curious like how do you how do you find a sense of belonging within yourself Mm -hmm. like how do you come home to yourself like what do you do what practices do you have that bring you a sense of belonging. I see. Okay, so that is excellent. I'm glad you um, give me give me an opportunity to kind of like um, dive into that. Um, so what I, I really truly feel like I have to go back to like back. I have to really go back to who I like who I identify as that are mm-hmm. things that are prevalent. Mm-hmm. So. I'm definitely a mother. Like, that's never going away. <laughs> so, like, I have to consider that heavily in my identity. Like, I'm responsible for two souls on this planet and stewarding them. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say, like, uh, guiding them or, well, yes, but not... A steward, when I think about a steward, I think about those guys that got to watch out for sheep and make sure that they're not really in danger, you know, and that make sure that they're all accounted for right, right. while they're living their sheep lives. Right. 
And so um, I always think about that responsibility that I chose and my children chose because I feel like they chose their mother mm-hmm. um, to, to be the vessel and, you know, to come through in this dimension and explore, you know, the energies that, you know, that are here. Um, so that's what helps me kind of center myself regardless to the fact that if I'm black, if I'm, you know, bisexual, if I'm demisexual, if I, you know, carry these traumas, the fact of the matter is <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you, you have this responsibility um, and that with that responsibility, you can't lose yourself either. You still have to kind of like um, grow in matter, uh, you know, grow in substance, you know, which e- with each breath that you take, each day that you have. Um, and so another aspect that really centers me is, you know, my my outlook and inner, in, inner look of myself. And um, what has helped me with that is my practice, um, my Buddhist practice, and recognizing causes and effects. Um, and so in a way that's kind of like the... I think about a car, I think about a starter, you know, and a car is the, the, the piece that ignites, you know, different fuses to the engine to, you know, start it up. Mm-hmm. And um, once I, you know, uh, navigate towards those two aspects, I, that's what really, like, makes me feel a sense of, of self. Um, wherever I go, whether I'm in Africa, whether I'm in Budapest, you know, whether I'm in Spain, wherever, now in this side of my life, I have these two things that must happen. Wow. Wow. So it sounds like motherhood really grounds you in some way, and your Buddhist practice does as well, but your Buddhist practice seems more like the tool that you use, like, within motherhood to kind of, like, stay... And and in and in my black existence too. And I know that this could be argued with a lot of different people, but because black people we don't like I said, we don't act as a community. I mean, at least on this side of, of the ocean. We don't really act as a real big community under one common ideology. We all like have different ideas and identities of self. Whereas in Africa you know, you African, mm-hmm. no matter if you're East, West, North, or South, you're all acting as under an African umbrella. But here in America, black people don't have the same luxury. Mm, well, I just really respect how deeply you think into things, Dominica. So I just wanted to mention that and thank you for everything you shared regarding that answer and um, I was just in conversation with some with a group about the idea of belongingness well well also in terms of connecting to ourselves so I think it's so important for the mental health experience for ourselves to be to have that state of belonging within ourselves where we feel connected within and then we can 
feel connected to other people too. So I think belonging is a perfect word and idea to to weave into a mental health talk because having that sense of belonging with others and then starting within ourselves first, that's so significant. Um, I have just one final question regarding this part, Dominica, while we're still inside of your mental health story, your bridge, um, mm-hmm. before we move forward into, there's just two other portions that to complete the, to complete your journey. Um, and this might be a little bit of an interpretation, but I wanted to just, I wanted to just ask you about this because when you were speaking earlier about the the experience of feeling silenced, and I also saw how you, you commented to that regarding your mother and also your grandmother, but just, just to get back to your own experience and like that speechlessness that you experienced, and then in relation to your anger, I was wondering if there was a connection, if you felt like because you were underneath and couldn't feel like you would come to the surface with your words, then it would come out in these outbursts that would be more angry or more eruptive. And um, if you saw, if you had seen any correlation between those. And then also uh, loneliness, you know, just like your experience of being inside of yourself or feeling feeling trapped in that way, coming outward in that, in those bursts. And then if you were struck by that experience of just being so alone inside of that. I don't think I've ever been alone. Mm-hmm. I just think that I've been in the company of people with clouded words, even the 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 um, disembodied voice in my head. Mm-hmm. Like growing up, that voice was always there, so I, I wasn't lonely. Mm-hmm. but it wasn't really beneficial with the things that was being said to me by myself, I feel. Okay. And people don't realize, I didn't realize, but you can put your own self in a prison. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like literally with the things that you allow to be passed through your head. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I completely understand. And like I said before, this hit, this at a young age, I'm talking about like five, six, seven, eight, and beyond through puberty, like I've had that. I have been subjected to that. And to kind of regurgitate some of it to a, per, a person that you're raised around or is raising you with such a devoutism and such a... Uh, criticism, judgmental type demeanor, like the shame was there. Like, I better not say this. Oh, my gosh, mm-hmm. my mom is going to think I'm completely crazy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and I better not tell her this or she's going to, you know, I'm going to disrupt the whole family. Like, you know, where is the sense of, what matters to you? Like, regardless, don't think about everybody else and how they feel. What about how you feel? Like, I couldn't, I couldn't, like, digest that. I couldn't process that because of it was so much shame in the fact of if. And we say if a lot in our heads, like, oh, if this happens, oh, my gosh. And then it starts the worry train. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah, I dealt with that, like, basically a great deal of my life. So 
I I I um I turn to, you know, self food, I turn to, you know, thumb sucking, I, you know, I turn to whatever I could at the time. Um, in my youth, you know, and then as an adult, you know, things have happened to me where I can't just be going around, like, dealing with my fucking oral fixation, you know, people look at you and be like, this, this lady is really something going on with her. She knew me. She up here sucking her thumb, you know, <laughs> in a corner and shit. <laughs> so, like, I can't do that. So, like, I've turned to smoking or, you know, drinking and things like that. And then that's another trauma that kind of has to, like, the energy of it has to kind of, like, um, pour out and be processed um, and combated. Mm-hmm. So it's just with every level, I think about shoots and ladders. Like every time, you know, you're getting up there, oh, it's either a shoot or a ladder, you know, and if it's a shoot, you got to go and, you know, back down and combat some things. But if it's a ladder, you know, you advance. Um, but <laughs> you know, and then I love that. You know, <laughs> oh yeah, like um, that's just, and all in all, that's what it's what it has been for me. I totally relate to that and get it, and really appreciate that imagery for sure. I think that makes a lot of sense and is really helpful in understanding kind of our experiences with these things. Mhm, mhm, definitely. Like how we like move through the world within our our journeys of our mental health. Mhm. Yeah. Um. So I have a question. We kind of touched a little bit on it when you started talking more about motherhood. Um. But um. So and back into your your original answer with the identity question. You said you're you're a visionary, and I'm curious. Um. To kind of go into like the branches of this journey, um, what you're doing now out in the world, if we can move into that. Is that okay? Definitely, definitely. Like that's it's a perfect time for it. I appreciate all that we've been able to hear from you, Dominica, in terms of your past and how yeah. far reaching that is, you know, for you as an experience. So just with what Alex is saying, we'll just come forward now to the present and, you know, just where your mind is at now and how you're seeing your self-function in the world today and all the extraordinary things that you're doing with your life. Thank you. Thank you for letting me um, kind of that, you know, process that question mm-hmm. and um, share. So in the present, since I know, like, I have this thing with oil fixation, like, I already, I've been reading so much on this stuff. And even my therapist will agree. Um, I have to learn how to kind of use my mouth in different ways that is anti-trauma or anti-trauma uh, uh, bonding, rather. So most of it has been me just talking about stuff and using my lips and, and speaking you know, as as a youth, like, a lot of people thought I was, like, really quiet and, like, a really sad child and stuff. Um, the, you know, I never really smiled a lot and things like that. But I had um, a recent um, 
incident with domestic violence and I had some things going with my mouth and they were really traumatic. Like I had a thing with dentists. I had like this whole like fear of a lot of stuff. Um, I had to walk around with no teeth for like a couple of months. It was a lot, but um, it made me apprehensive at first, but then I was just like, you know what? I'm recognizing that, you know, life is so precious. Life is so precious. Like, death, that's apparent. You know, everything's going to, you know, expire. But life, oh, my gosh, you got to be hell of a to just recognize and live that shit. And that's why we're here and we're shining and we look so beautiful in our different levels of life. You know, the 20-somethings, the 30-somethings, the 40-somethings. You'll find, like, the gold in every age group because people, some people recognize that you only have one of these things called life. And, you know, it has an expiration. So with that, I've recognized that. And I've just taken it into my own accord to, like, and any opportunity I can, um, just try and live it, <laughs> live the shit out of it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, who's going to, when, you know, when this existence is gone, as we go on and as energy, it's, it's in the past, it's gone. You know, it's energy that's coming forth that, you know, we gravitate to, I feel. Like, I think about stars in the universe, you know, like, you know, every, you know how, how stars form, how suns in different galaxies form, but, you know, they have developmental processes. And once they pass that, that developmental stage, they don't go back to being the same thing. Like, <laughs> the sun is not going to be a, a dwarf anymore. It's going to be bigger. It's going to become a black hole or whatever comes after the sun has its set or the sun has had its expiration or it dies or whatever. Um, so with that, like, I've just, taking that all in all and been more conscious and, you know, speak um, and use what I say, you know, my words, like kind of make the mirror energy um, and just speak energy into existence. Um, and then just having the courage to just go for things that mm-hmm. I desire. Like I, you know, I used to like a lot of things, that, but, you know, in my black existence, you know, growing up, people used to shame me for it, you know, or thought it was weird or, you know, thought it was odd or whatever. But now I'm in the point of my life where, you know, I'm not really caring who's looking. Um, it's it's hurting me more not not being able to live a, a genuine existence than it is for me to keep appearances. Um, totally. So that's what I've been doing. Um, I really appreciate the message you're conveying about life and um, just your confidence 
and you're, you being able to embrace your true self at this point. It's very inspiring. I'm wondering at this point if you want to mention, you know, just before we move forward to the final portion, um, any any of the companies that you have been creating recently in the past few years or your current visions that you're working on? Lately, um, I've been recognizing the things that I really desire. Like I really like it, it's just been kind of like in my subconscious, but it's coming to the surface um, as of now. And I'm recognizing that I really enjoy um, crocheting and, like, fashion design. And this has been with me from a youth. Like, I remember, I I don't know if you got this, but I used to, like, (laughs) try and, like, salvage various pieces of fabric and things like that to – because the fixation – with my hands and mouth were so strong. Like, I had to stay busy, you know, not just sucking my thumb, but just staying busy with my hands. Like, always, that's just been something that has been with me since a young age. So um, creating, like, various, like, doll clothes clothes, or, like, re- um, what is it, reimagining um, pieces of, you know, clothes that I've had. Um, I was always, like, a bigger um, child, so, like, shopping was kind of, like, hard for me. So, like, I still wanted to, like, kind of be different and have style, and so I would just, you know, I had to shop in the women's section, you know, at a young age, so, like, I thought, like, all the women's clothing was, like, boring, and I didn't want to look like an old lady, and I'm only, like, 13, 14. So I would take the clothes and like kind of like cut and the distress and things like that and I just always like like to do that so um I lately I've been turning um to fiber art and crocheting simply because it it always has been easy for me to do that um my mom taught me how to crochet and my grandmother taught her and my grandmother was a seamstress so she taught me some things about the sewing machine and, like, basic um, seamstress. She oh. used to work for um, Chrysler. She used to make the seat in the Chrysler cars. So she was always a seamstress um, or some type of um, skilled, um, uh, I guess, I don't know the term, how to use a person that, does sewing, um, tailoring. Mm-hmm. Um, there we go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm pretty sure she learned that from her mother. So that's just something that has kind of been passed down in my family from matriarch to matriarch um, as a way to kind of combat stress or use it as a a mechanism to be creative and express yourself. Um, So I've been kind of turning to that, and I'm recognizing that, you know, the more stressed I am, the less that I create in that aspect of of who I am. But, you know, when I'm not stressed out, like I'm really creating a lot of, you know, cool projects and completing them, like, really fast and on to the next one. 
and really um, conscious of, you know, women, children, men, like all all different walks and all different people in what I'm creating. So, like, I do a lot of aromatherapy blankets. Right now I'm doing, like, clothing for, like, the women, ladies, you know. Um, I'm doing a lot of, like, festival, like, fun um, attire, um, and I'm using various fabrics and um, yarns to crochet these pieces. I did cardigans for kids, babies. You know, I'm just thinking about all human life and um, putting my little signature um, on an existence. Um, and so I'm using that, and I'm I'm trying to develop a company around that, not to mention smells and scents that have always been a thing for me. Um, that might have been some developmental stuff too, honestly. But <laughs> but I love um, perfumes and smells, and you know, just that sense alone takes me to a memory or or a place, and ultimately helps me um, navigate through it and process it, and and re- have it resurface, you know, and and have it be something to talk about and express. Um, and so I'm taking all these things and I want to, like, kind of incorporate a, a business around it to kind of, like, be available to people. Um, but it's in the baby stages right now, and I'm recognizing that things take time and I'm learning a little more patience with myself and with that aspect. And so um, to keep it alive and keep that flame burning – I'm like just crocheting my heart away in my hands too. Nice. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you very much for everything that you just stated. And I love how you wove in your mental health, how it's connected to what you're doing now and how you see that working for you and also your generations too. I just really appreciate how you shared across your generations this same this same act of crocheting or sewing. So thank you for that. Um, and I and I know you just have so much talent. I've seen some of your work, of course, just the talent and the originality. Um, I was wondering if you could, if you can state your the name of your company, and also then where people can find if you. I think you have a social media platform for it as well. Yes. Um, so my company, um, the legal name of my company is Three Sheltons, and I just thought about me and my three daughters because we're all Sheltons. <laughs> So I just recognize that. But the I'm doing business as Happy Bodhisattva Gifts, and Happy Bodhisattva Term comes from my Buddhist practice. Um, and just a Bodhisattva of the earth is a is a person that recognizes um, the the mystic law and um, is in the process of spreading you know awareness about the mystic law and also living the life condition of of Buddhism um, and everything that that entails. Um, it's it's not a um, a level of uh, or a platform that that a person stays at um, because the ultimate um, level is enlightenment in whatever degree and whatever level that we are all um, subjected to. Um, but just to be the happiest 
um, is why I named it Happy Bodhisattva. And, like, people butcher the name all the time, which is a <laughs> conversational piece for me to, you know, kind of present the ideology of Buddhism um, mm-hmm. to a person. Or people recognize that term and they, you know, check me out or want a backstory about it. Um, the clothing line is called The Good Robin. And that's what I'm labeling um, all my crochet um, attire pieces and houseware under is the Good Robin Festival. And I came up with that. Um, I actually do a bit of painting. I do acrylic painting from time to time and graffiti art. Um, like I really explored, <laughs> when, I, when I recognized oral fixation was a part of my existence, I really tried to figure out like, what is the meaning of this? Like, how can, how am I going to live like this thus far? Like, I can't just sit in a room and suck my thumb. Like, I got to <laughs> do something. <laughs> so, like, I painted, I paint a lot um, in, in, in between crocheting. And I paint, I painted this, I think it's like a 20 by 16 on canvas. It's a bird. And I just, I just felt so like connected to this picture, and it's been with me for almost like five years. And um, it's kind of like the label of the clothing line. And the Good Robin is just basically, if you you'll see it, hopefully I, I can send it to you. It's a bird with a worm in its mouth. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother used to like be up so early. 6 a.m., 7 a.m., sometimes 5 a.m., and she'll turn on every light in the house, every single light in the house. <laughs> and so that's going to compel anybody to get up and say, what What are you doing? And she always say, oh, you need to come get your worm, girl. You know, <laughs> go get your worm. Get up and get your worm. And so I thought about birds, and they are early as hell. And they always eat. So that's where the good robin came from, the good robin, because they up so early. Um, and so I crochet the wee hours of the morning. Sometimes I'm up at 3 a.m., 4 a.m., 5 a.m. Crocheting my heart away if I'm, you know, sleepless sometimes. Or, you know, I have a tendency to just work at a project to, like, the wee hours in the morning. And I always think about that picture and what it means to me. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So Dominica, I know at the beginning of the episode you mentioned that you're a visionary and I just want to affirm that this is entirely true. <laughs> like you, I love how you like see the future like with so much imagination or you see things as they are and you decide you want to make them better. Like I think that's such a valuable quality in the person and I'm just so like in awe right now and I love hearing about this, all of what you've got going on and I think it's so great. So thank you so much for sharing. Mm-hmm. Thank you Sorry for allowing me. This is really, really um, therapeutic, honestly. It really mm-hmm. was. Awesome. Um, the one last quick question we have for you is, um, well, I can combine kind of the last two, I guess, um, in terms of like where you see yourself going in the future um, and kind of spreading your message and what that message would be if you had a message that you would want to share with the world. Yes. So the message 
Oh gosh, I have so many, um, but the, uh, <laughs> a definite message I feel um, I would like to share with the world is that that you're not alone. Number, like recognize that, and not just the fact that the world is full of people, but the world is full of people that can relate to you directly. If you just talk and just look around and recognize, like, um, it doesn't hurt anybody to be empathetic and to, like, have a connection. And I know that I combat that, like, I have a tendency to let, like, depression and a lot of anxiety stop me from spreading my message. You know, I let I let a lot of these terms that are given medically define, you know, what I'm supposed to do and who I'm supposed to give messages to. Um, and so, like I said before, we do have a tendency to put our own selves in prison this way. And so my message is just self-freedom, ultimately, and... Um, my future, like, I'm really, like, just over the moon about this energy, this creation energy as far as, like, my crocheting and, and um, fashion design. Mm -hmm. And I know it's something, like, because I have so many different, like, different um, fires that, that burn in me, but this one, like, it's just so, like, my baby because, like, I be having, like, dreams of, like, oh, my gosh, I can't wait to somebody just wear one of my cardigans that, that's at a premiere or something. Or somebody, like, sees, like, an up-and-coming, like, creative, like, in one of my, my fucking joggers that I crochet. And then, like, people are seeing, like, not just you know, the quality of work, but, like, the backstory to the quality of work. You know, there's a backstory to a person sitting there and crocheting some fucking, a, a whole freaking sweater, a whole freaking blanket. Like, what were you going to? What was the process? Did you just sit there to create something? Or, you know, what were, you know, what are you, what are you pouring into each, each uh, you know, link that you're chaining? Um, and I want people to, like, kind of see that, hopefully, um, at least until my hands give up because, you know, I'm working with various things against me when I'm doing this type of craft. You have tendonitis, arthritis, um, you know, all type carpal tunnel, things like that. So um, I have to recognize that in the, as I age, that might come up. So while I I have the agility right now, I'd rather just push out what I can. And so, yeah, so that's that's kind of like what I want to do. Like I want somebody like to wear my shit and with so much dignity, of you know, for their lives. And I want them to know that the intention was just that. are years that ask questions and years that answer. Zora Neale Hurston, their eyes were watching God. 
Thank you to our listeners, our guests, our family and friends, and all who are with us on this journey. Thank you to Ayla Nario for the use of your beautiful song. We hope you have found a piece of your healing journey with us through this episode and that you continue to carry on with strength and hope. Remember, your life is precious. Pushing past these bones, pushing past these bones.